It's recording. This is a shear on Likutei Sichas, book 21, Chelech Hafalef, book 21, the Sicha of Teruma, the third Sicha. We're going to be learning about the picture of the Menorah, because in this week's parsha, we are told about the Menorah, the candelabra in the Beis Amigdash that Moshe Rabbeinu built. Actually, he didn't really build it. It was so difficult that Hashem told him to just throw the um, gold into the fire, and it was made as if he made it, but after it came out, Hashem made it. But at any rate, starting paragraph one, about the about the picture, the diagram of the Gevim. Uteria speaks about certain Gevim that had to be as adornments on the Menorah. What are Gevim? So as, as, sages, as sages say, the word Gevim means a cup, actually. <laughs> A goblet. So our sages tell us in the Gemara Menaches, and also in a Braisa, there's a certain Braisa that is called the Braisa, almost like a Mishnah, of the Melecha Samishkan, of how the Mishkan was crafted. So it says there, what can they be compared to? These goblets that needed to be adorning the Menaira, they are Kiminkosot Alexandrian. They're like Alexandrian goblets. Alexandria, as in Alexandria of Egypt. They're goblets of the Alexandrian style. And the Rambam explains in the commentary to the Mishnah, and this means a kind of cup <clears throat> that has narrow, narrow um, bottom and a wide mouth. Okay. That's what Alexandrian cups look like. But there's a very strange thing. So if you picture a, a, a you picture a goblet that's wider on the top and comes to a much narrower place, an elegant goblet comes to a much narrower place at the bottom. However, we find a very strange thing, or a, a, a wondrous thing. When we look, unusually, there is a diagram of the Menorah that the Rambam um, the Rambam uh, uh, draws a picture in his own handwriting, and it's there in the in his explanation to the Mishnah, and there he crafts it. There he he draws it that these goblets, these Alexandrian goblets, which are wide mouth and narrow bottom, that they're put upside down. In other words, the mouth. The broader part of the mouth is facing downwards, and the narrower part, the base, is facing upwards. In other words, an overturned cup. What kind of a business is that? Now, even though the Rambam himself says that with this diagram he's creating, he's not trying to he's not trying to be exact. He's trying to show the general gist of what the Menorah looked like. How many cups there were? Because when you read it in the Torah, it's very confusing. It says there had to be goblets and there had to be like uh, round things like apples. And it's very difficult to keep track of how many uh, cups there were, how many round uh, spheres there were. So he creates a diagram where he puts in the cups, he puts in the spheres the, 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 and, and, and the flowers. And you could say that's why, actually, when he makes the diagram of these Alexandrian goblets, he makes triangles. Now, let's take a look here. Take a look at the back I think, I think you should have it also in the copies. In the back page of the Sicha, 
there should be a diagram. The diagram from the Rambam should be there. I hope it's there. Did they put it in? In, in here you have it. In mine you have it. In the English didn't have it. Here, so take a look. Maybe it's not there. He, okay. he has it there. You see okay. it? Mm. This is a diagram that the Rambam himself drew. You can see, right? You see that that you see that the there's these these cups. These cups are upside down. They're drawn as triangles. You see those those round things and then the triangles. So they're upside down, but they're also triangles. Now they were. Alexandrian cups are not triangular. So you can see that the Rambam is not drawing an exact diagram. Alexandrian cup, the goblet can't come to a perfect, a goblet cannot come to a perfect point like a perfect triangle as the Rambam drew, because how do you put down a cup when it comes to a point? So it must be that there's a little bit of a base, but the Rambam was not drawing an exact diagram. He was drawing the concept. So you could say maybe the Rambam was just drawing a general concept, but you could say that's why he makes a triangle when it should be not a perfect triangle. There should be a little bit of a base. But can you really say that he, he draws, I don't know how many of those Alexandrian goblets on the menorah and each time he turns it upside down? That's not just a not exact drawing. That seems to be a, 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 an intentional reversal of the goblet to be not up facing up but facing down. Especially... But in the end of, the, of each one, <clears throat> no, but each triangle is a is a cos Alexandria. Okay. But it wasn't a perfect triangle. We understand that there had to be a base, because if you want to put a cup down, it had to be like a cup. In the end, there is a cup. No, so it should be facing yeah. up. They're upside down. Yeah. Like no, that. no, no. That's a different thing. That's Mishuka, that's Kaftoreha. There were other adornments to the menorah. There were the Gevi'im, there were the cups. Then there were Kaftorim, which were round spheres, round balls like apples. That's what you see there. But the actual cups was just a triangle. So you could say that Ammam only drew an approximate, as we understand. It wasn't a real triangle like this. But you can't really say that Ammam turned. Every time he drew, he, he, he did it. Upside down is not, is not an approximation. It's the exact opposite of standing up. Especially as the Rambam was such a, 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 a so meticulous in everything he did. The Rambam was was an exacting person. It doesn't make sense to say that the Rambam drew upside down cups just because he wrote a, an approximation. It doesn't make sense. So therefore, paragraph two, it would seem very simple to say that the Rambam drew them in that way intentionally, because in his opinion, in the Rambam's opinion, the that's the way that they were situated on the menorah. They were upside down cups. Now, how do we, where did the Rambam get that from? Could be a few reasons. Either this was something that was passed down generation to generation and the Rambam had it in some kind of a tradition. Or maybe he had a source in our sages which didn't get to us. Like we find in many places in the Rambam and other Rishonim, other of his contemporaries, Sometimes there are things they quote a medrash and we don't see where the medrash is. We don't, some of the medrashim were lost along the way. But the Rambam says so clearly that there was an upside down cup. He must have a source. You got it. And that's why I, he doesn't bring, he doesn't write that though in his book of halachas. Um, 
In other words, this picture is only in his explanation on the Mishnah. It's not in his uh, Mishnah Torah, in his book of Halachas, in the Sefer Yada Chazaka, where he writes all the Halachas. He doesn't have a picture. So, but nonetheless, we find many times he does bring pictures in his in his explanation on the Mishnah, but he doesn't bring it in his main magnum opus in his Mishnah Torah. So there's no that that doesn't pose a problem. However, why would he have not written it in his book of halachas? First of all, maybe maybe he wasn't planning to write to to put pictures into his book of halachas. Number two, we know that Amman was very careful in his book of, of his main book of halacha, not to write things that are not clearly written before him in the Gemara and in the other commentaries. Three, maybe some of the details of the Menorah are not are not fully leikuva. They're not. Uh, um, they don't stop the mitzvah if you don't do them. So the Rambam he wouldn't build a picture because. Even if some of the items are not 100%, the menorah would be kosher. So he didn't bring all the details in a picture. You could say that. And here's a fascinating thing. The Rebbe adds a note after time. So this sikh was said, this, this talk was, was said in, let's say, 1982. Says the Rebbe a note that he adds later. He says, we've discovered new manuscripts of the Rambam Sefer Hayad on his book of Halacha. And there, in his halacha book, he also brings a picture. And the picture, like we showed you from the back of the of the sicha, and you see clearly in the picture the upside-down cups. So from all sides, we see that the Rambam drew these Alexandrian goblets upside-down. Why? Says the Rebbe, we could, we, could, we could speak at length about how we. it's clear that the Rambam meant it intentionally, but let's get to the point in paragraph 3, which is, okay, we understand now why the Rambam that the Rambam means it intentionally, but why? That's the question. Why would why would the Menorah have upside-down goblets? Now, why would the goblets be standing up? There is a there are some commentaries in the Torah. One of them is called Cheskuni. Cheskuni says that if you if you see those Gevim, the Gevim were situated along the there were there were these Alexandrian goblets along the um, Along the arms of the menorah and also along the base, along the middle stem. You know what they were for? He says, if if the if the oil would spill out, they would be you had these cups attached like around the menorah with with overlays, like with with like with a spout, so it would catch the dripping oil. If the oil would 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 leak down, it would catch them. That's what those opinions say. You had Givim, you had those cups along to catch dripping oil. The Rambam, by making a picture of the oil of the cup upside down, is taking away that functionality, right? So obviously he means, but why? What what are the Givim? Why are they upside down cups? Why why upside down? So now we're going to answer it. And you uh, Leo, you got you you, you, you hit you hit on the answer. You got on the answer. So he says, especially, but we're going to strengthen the question. Why shouldn't they be upside down? Okay, this way, that way. If they'll be, in other words, if I'll make them right side up, you'll ask me, why aren't they upside down? No. We find that when they built the Mishkan with the planks, the beams of the Mishkan, you can build, if you build a wooden house, you have two ways of building, right? You can put the planks horizontally or vertically. How did you have to put the planks of the Mishkan? Atzei shitim omedim. They had to be standing vertically. Why vertically? Say Chazal, the way that trees 
grow, standing up. The, 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 the going from down to up. So one second. We learn from this a mitzvah in all, a, a general rule about all mitzvahs. That a mitzvah is to be fulfilled. If you want to fulfill your obligation, the mitzvah has to be done in the way that it grows. We know, therefore, that how do you hold the lulav? To hold it up. The etrog, you have to hold it the way they grow. Bottoms down, tops up. So if that's the case, that, then shouldn't these Alexandrian goblets also be bottom, bottom and up, up? We could say that we'll understand this by first understanding the general concept of the menorah. There was something very fascinating relating to the light of the menorah and as follows. About the light of the menorah, say, just tell us, that Hashem says, so to speak, Lola Ola, I, need to, I don't need the light of the menorah. You think it's for inner lighting? I need a, you, you need a light, a candelabra for me to have light in my house, in the house of God? Nah. The whole purpose of the menorah is to be a testimony to all those in the world that look at the menorah and they see that Hashem's holy presence rests amongst the Jews. Especially the, the Western, the, the middle light never went out. And everybody sees Hashem is there with the Jews. It's not for light. How do you know it's not for light? And, and because it's not for light, that's why they made the windows of the Mishkan were made in a way that they were shkufim atumim. They were broad on the outside, narrow on the inside. You know, when you want to make, when you want to, when you want to diffuse light, even in houses today, they'll they'll put the light will be a, a smaller light, and then the the cover on top of the light will be a wide cover to diffuse the light to spread the light into the room. In the base amikdash, they did the reverse. Usually, a window should be becoming broader and more expansive as you go inside because it's supposed to bring in and and spread the light. Here, however, in the base of Mikdash, it was exact opposite. They were more narrow in the inside, and as you went out, they became broader. You know what it proved? That I don't need the light from the outside to light up the house of God. The light from inside the house of Hashem was being diffused out into the world to light up the world. On the contrary, the Mishkan, the light in the Mishkan was testimony to all the world about the fact that the Shekhinah, Hashem's holy presence, is with the Jews. The Mishkan didn't need to bring in the light from outside. It spread the light from inside to outside. Ah, paragraph four. So now we'll understand about these Alexandrian cups. What is a cup? So first let's understand that the Menorah is part of the process of spreading forth energy into the world. The Bechayai, famed uh, Torah commentator Bechayai, explains that the hint the illusion of what do these givim, these cups, mean in the Menorah. So a goblet is a vessel that receives liquid, and then it gives and irritates. It gives people to drink, and it irrigates others. The cup holds liquid, and then through that, people can drink and become, um, um, have their thirst quenched. They can become irrigated, so to speak. And this is what the Gevim, the goblets here on the Menorah are representing. Because there are Galgalim, we have the planets and the planetary powers that receive the energy from Hashem and 
pour it down into the lower world. And this is being represented by the Menorah, that you have these goblets that's holding Hashem's energy, and Hashem's energy is coming into the round things, the rounded things, which represent the Galgalim Alyanim, the celestial planetary system, which we know is one of the ways Hashem sends His energy down into the world through the planetary system. And that's what it hints at. So again, the, the concept is that the, the hashpa, the energy, the flow from above that Hashem sends down to the lowly world is coming down in a way that these cups represent the, the, the giving to drink and the irrigating of the lower spheres. Now, in, in English, the, when we talk about a kois, when we talk about a cup, what's the main function of a cup? The main function of a cup is not the fact that it holds liquid. If you want to hold liquid, you use a jug. You want to hold wine or, or water. Usually the holding container should be something bigger, more, more central, more general. We refer to it as a chavit, a jug. A kos, when we talk about a cup, usually a cup is functional. A cup is something, a cup is something I drink from. It's not where I want to be holding as a, as, a, as a holding receptacle, more it's a functional vessel in order to allow me to drink. A chavit, a jug, is where I hold uh, liquid. Or even more, if I talk about a, wet, a spring, spring is where liquid is being bubbling up from and being held. But when I talk about a cup, really it's about providing drink to somebody or to something. I'm I'm using it to pour into somebody else or to irrigate something else. Which means to say that this Bechai that says that these goblets are similar to the energy coming down from Hashem into the lowly worlds really fit into the same concept of what we're talking about. The windows of the Beis HaMikdash symbolize that the light of the menorah is to bring the light in, of the Shekhinah, to bring Hashem's presence and light into the world. The menorah is kind of a transform, a transformer, a dispatch station to receive the energy, Hashem's light, and to be a, a, a transformer to, like a switchboard, to send Hashem's energy and Hashem's presence into the world. If that's the case, so now when we look at these goblets, so just like the light of the menorah is not for illuminating the actual temple, but rather, it's not in a way that Hashem says, I don't need the light. You need to give me light? No. This light is what I'm pouring, what I'm providing you, what I'm providing to be illuminating the world. If that's the case, paragraph 5 will understand why these goblets in the Menorah were upside down. If, If the goblet is, if the cup is in order to be a receptacle, for example, when somebody makes kiddush, he needs to have a, a cup full of wine. So then it has to be standing up and it needs to be a recipient. It needs to be a receptacle for the wine in order to make a bracha. So you need to have the mouth up and the bottom down in order to be able to make a bracha. However, since we're talking here about the goblets of the menorah, the whole concept of the menorah is to be a transmission of godly flow downwards, it's in order to provide liquid, spiritual liquid, in order to irrigate. So on the contrary, 
the, really the, the, the functionality here of the cup needs to be that it's pouring outwards. So its mouth is downwards, symbolizing the pouring of the flow, and its bottom is facing up. And that's exactly our point here. Since the light of the Minerva has to light up all the people in the world, it has to go outwards, which in Ruchnius, when we talk spiritually, they are lower than the Beis Amikdash. Or as the Bechai, I said, that the energy has to be poured down from the planetary system into the lowly world. So that's talking about a downward flow. So in the Minerva, where the flow is coming into the world that's lowly and that's considered spiritually lower than the holiness and the godliness of the Minerva, so the goblets need to be in the mode of blowing downwards. So they're upside down. Just like the windows of the Beis Amikdash needed to be the opposite of what you would do in a... In a, in a um, in a conventional home where the, the, the windows would become wider as they come in, here was the exact opposite. The windows became wider as they went out because it had to diffuse the light and spread the light outwards. It was a beautiful thing. Unbelievable. So the Meneira, it was upside down because the Meneira is all about pouring out into the world. What does this tell us? Ah, listen to this. Paragraph 6. According to this, we'll understand in the service of Hashem, what this alludes and teaches us from the fact, what do we get, what we learn from the fact that the these goblets had wide mouths and in the Menorah they were facing downwards. Since they give him these goblets, Alexandrian goblets, they hint to us about giving to drink and irrigating others. We understand why it needed to have a wide mouth. Why is that? Because when it comes to giving to others, when it comes to creating a flow to share with others, another Jew, or in general, trying to impact the world to fulfill the divine missive of making the world a dwelling place for Hashem, as the menorah was, the menorah had to be the light of the menorah spread into the world to be a testimony that Hashem's light lights up the world, that Hashem's presence rests amongst the Jews. In that mode, you have to do it with the biggest expansiveness possible, with the biggest, with the widest reach possible. There's no room to feel small. There's no room to be stingy. There's no room to be uh, uh, to be petty. You need to be pouring with a full, the widest, um, the wider opening has to be pouring downwards and has to be allowing the flow to go to the help you want to give somebody else to go to the changing of the world, it has to be in a way that it's a beyond beyond medida, beyond measure, and beyond limitation. At that time, the person who is pouring the flow has to make sure that he has the greatest power, that he, 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 he fills himself up with the biggest power possibly. Remember, how does he how do you fill up a cup through the mouth the mouth has to be wide but that wideness is because is because his his purpose is to be pouring outward so when you when you're involved and engaged in 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 in, in uh, passing on the flow to somebody else or making an impact on the world there one has to be as un, in, in, a, in the most unlimited space possible, not to be bound by internal limitations, by self-doubt, by pettiness, by 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 um, by 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 yeah, by all those things that 
try and limit the positive impact we can have on others and on the world. However, when we're talking about the person himself, and it may be the person's not yet up to the position where he's influencing others, or maybe he is, but maybe he's still for some reason in a limited mode, so then the way his situation can be defined is that still his mouth is upwards. In other words, he's he's not in a perfect flowing position. However, and I'm not sure here to, how to understand this 100% because the mouth is still just as wide, even if he's standing up. I'm not I'm not 100%. And the truth is, says the Rebbe Na'ara, that um, even when a person is working for himself, he also has to reach his own personal beyond limitation. Every day we say in the Shema, you have to love Hashem with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, which means even more than just all your soul. It means in an unlimited way, almost in an infinite way, even before you're working with someone else that requires or trying to impact the world, which requires leaving your own limitations, even your own personal service to Hashem also needs to be a wide one. But it's it's he's there's still a certain there's still a certain staidness. The word state is probably not so good. There's still a certain order and proper uh, not properness, but a um, thinking of a prim and proper. There's still a certain um, order orderliness. Person standing, you know, the, the cup is on its bottom. There's the, the mouth is wide open, it's ready to take in. When, however, we talk about doing with somebody else, about pouring, especially when we're talking about transforming the world like the Menorah is supposed to do, to make the world a dwelling place for Hashem, to show how Hashem's presence is here, just like the, the light gets dispatched through the window. So you have to know that here one needs to reach higher than his limitations. Here, that wide, expansive mouth has to be fully opened and, and 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 flowing to be able to go to the others or to be able to go into transforming the world. And this is similar to something we've spoken about. In this parasha, we have three terumais. The parasha is called truma, right? Truma means to give a donation. There's actually three times the word teruma is used in the very beginning of the parasha. In other words, there was three collections. What three collections? So there was two collections of half shekel. They needed one half shekel to build, to make the sockets. Each Jew had to give a half shekel to make the, a one-time half shekel to make the sockets of the Mishkan, silver adanim, the silver sockets. And then you also needed the half shekel. Every Jew had to give every year a half shekel to buy. So that all the communal, the, the korbanot sibur, the communal sacrifices, how does something become communal? If you want to become a partner with somebody, how do you become a partner? The most effective way to become a partner is if you're investing in a $1,000 uh, sewing machine you know, to open a sewing business, you put a hundred, five hundred. He puts five hundred, and by the virtue of the fact that your that both of your monies are there at the same at the same, you've both put five hundred dollars in. Now, your partners, your partners. So by all the Jews putting in a half shekel, and then from that money that was pulled together, they brought the animals for the base of mikdash. That was the most effective way of having korbanot zibur, of having communal sacrifices. So that was two half shekels they had to give. And then there was the third trauma, which is for the one-time building of the Mishkan. That you needed bigger donations as well. 
That's where it says, Everybody was asked to contribute what they had. If you had gold, you gave gold. You have copper, you have copper. If you had uh, wools, you gave wools. That's already not a defined amount of only half shekel. The rich can't give more, the poor can't give less. That's something that's tailored to everybody's feeling, to their ability. So why is there this different difference? Because when we're talking about the sockets, the half shekel, what are the sockets? The sockets are the lowest place of the of the Mishkan. They represent the 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 the, the, yisod, the fundamental. The the um, yisod is a uh, foundation. foundation. Thank you. They represent the foundation of the person. And when we talk about a foundation, everybody's equal. And you need the bare minimum, and you need that bare minimum. In other words, there, there's, a, there's a core half shekel that represents avodam is suderet. You have to start from a, 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 def, a definitive starting point from Moida Ani saying thank you to Hashem in the morning, just saying no big, no, no big, no, no, no big drushes. Just thank you, Hashem. Thank you, Hashem, for giving back my life. And then you move forward, and everybody starts serving Hashem based on their own abilities. And that's represented by the truma of the Mishkan, the, the collection to build the actual Mishkan, where everybody gave whatever they were supposed to. So there, this wasn't limited to one particular way or one particular mode. Here, everybody has to, there's no limitations. Everything in the world needs to be brought in to be able to create a dwelling place for Hashem. So in other words, there's, when we're talking about the, the the work of making Hashem a, a um, turning the world into a place of Hashem, which is like building a Mishkan, there there has to be an unlimited engagement and pouring of flow of Hashem's uh, energy and light into the world. And that's represented by the Jew doing whatever he can without any limitations, without any, without putting on the brakes, just opening the gasket and letting the flow go in a in an in a in an unlimited way. And this is also uh, paragraph seven. Remember, we said that generally the mitzvahs have to be done in an orderly way. They have to be right side up, not upside down. So if we're saying it's so good to be upside down, why why do we have to hold the lulav on the right side up? Why do we have to hold the kiddush cup right side up? Why would the crush him? Why did we make the okay the beams we had to make? You can't show how they're turned upside down because which which side is the head of the beam? <coughs> it's spiritual. It's not uh, physical. Like but it has to represent, no, even the mitzvahs are also spiritual. So what does it represent? So there's a spiritual representation of holding it right way up as well. Paragraph 7. This is what's alluded to when we say that kol mitzvot, all the mitzvahs, you have to do derech gidei latam, the way that they grow. Why? In particular, you can't turn it over. As it's brought about the lulav and its species, it has to be the right way up. By the way, it says when, when we wave the lulav in all directions, it says we do three times up, and then it says we do three times down. The language used in the Shulchan Aruch, or at least in the Minhagim, where it says, not, it says, Lochas v'shalom, harosh lamata. Not God forbid that you turn the lulav upside down. Even when we do the, the, the downward shake with the lulav, we don't turn the lulav upside down. We lower the stem. Of, we, we're holding the lulav as usual three times down. We don't turn it upside down. It always has to be the way it grows. So what does that represent? What that represents is every mitzvah, especially the lulav and its species, 
because they represent bringing down Hashem's energy into the world, but they are representative of the Seder Hishtal Shalut. Seder Hishtal Shalut means the order of the chain of descent that Hashem has created with each successive state being less than the next so that there can be a manageable and orderly descent of Hashem's light into the world. So it starts off a thousand watts, the next level is 1900, uh, 900 watts, then 800, and so on. And that's why we have the 10 sefirot. Each one is a, is, a, is a diminishment of the intensity of the light so that eventually you can get to a level of light that's manageable and that's able to be sent into the next lower world. <coughs> that's all part of the Kaab. Yeah. So this needs to be... In, in in regular mitzvahs are bringing Hashem into the world in a regular way, that has to be in an orderly fashion. You have to do it right way up, right? And that's why when you do regular mitzvahs and and you and you invite Hashem's bring down Hashem's kedusha into the world, you have to do it in an orderly way, generally speaking. However, and and even when we look at these goblets. The actual goblets did have also low, smaller bottom, larger top. Which what does that represent? It represents this concept of hishtal shalut. It starts wider, and it gets contracted, so it becomes lower wattage, lower lower voltage, and then you can move it further down. That's when they are on themselves. When you put it into the menorah, the menorah would need to be created like one sculpture, like one hammer hammered out. It all came from one one piece of gold that was hammered out to, to be formed with all these pieces. Now that it becomes a part of the menorah, what does the menorah have to do? The menorah is about bringing down the energy in the Beis Amikdos to show that Hashem's energy gives energy to the world. There the cups are, so to speak, in a mode of hashpa'ah. Then they're in a mode of, of, of transmitting the flow. They're like a cup. They're like a cup that's pouring, not a cup that's receiving and they have to be like just like the walls of the just like the windows of the Beis Hamikdash that transmit the light of the menorah outward. So now we don't use it in its usual order and orderliness the way it stands. Now we expect the cup to leave its own organized mode, its own its own usual identity, and be a different identity. In other words, be instead of a holding holding the uh, upright pouring out so that it goes downwards to those that need to receive. And that's exactly the same way that the that the windows of the of the of the base Amigdash were also created narrow inside and broader outside so that they're transmitting the light outwards. In other words, that when a person is being in that mode, spreading forth outwards, he needs to try and be unlimited, needs to try and engage in a way that he's fully open and fully, uh, um, um, I would say, unleashed, untethered, and not bound to the things that usually create constraints for him. So this is a, a very, very powerful lesson. But there's something else, says the Rebbe, that we need to discuss. Once we're talking about this, paragraph 8, there's another detail in the picture of the Menorah, which the Rambam indicates in his picture. Did you notice? The Rambam has a different picture of the menorah than the standard pictures of the menorah. In the standard pictures of the menorah, many of them are round. You grew up seeing a menorah. 
that they're round. The Rambam made it Allah son, made it diagonal, <laughs> not rounded. He made it straight diagonal. But again, as you can see, no, not about this. We'll see. Not about this, but we'll soon talk about it. You see here that you see here the 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 alakson. It's clearly an alakson. It's clearly a, a diagonal. Now, even though that about this detail, you could say that maybe the Rambam just didn't want to do. Rambam said that I'm going to make. I, I just want to give the general outline of the there. Maybe this fact that he made it straight is what we call the hakel alatziyur, to make it easier to draw. It's more difficult to draw something perfectly rounded. Easier to draw symmetrically. You take a ruler, you take something straight, and you can draw it more easily. But however, the, the Rambam had a son, Rabbi Avram ben Rambam, Avram the son of the Rambam, who wrote also commentary. He writes about his father like this, that the menorah, the way my father teaches it, is... <laughs> straight, not round, like some others have made it. But he clearly says, my father's version of the menorah is a straight, not the rounded one, as others say. And that's what Rashi seems to say on the Torah. Rashi says that the six uh, um, arms of the menorah came out, and they came out in a diagonal way. So it comes out that the traditional pictures of the menorah, rounded, are not like the Rambam and not like Rashi. Fascinating. So now it's not so simple because we have the paragraph nine. We have the author of the Mishnah's Hasidim. He was a um, um, he was a I don't know exactly. Huh? You say it's wrong. Wrong. Yeah, but I'm not sure exactly how long ago he was. He was um, definitely. Um, he was definitely a few uh, uh, you know I'm not sure which um, I'm not sure how many how long back he was he was definitely a few hundred years back and so the 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 the, the Kabbalist who's the author of the Mishnah's Chassidim in his book called Maaseh Choshev where he speaks about the Meleches HaMishkan about the work of the Mishkan he writes simply that the six arms of the Menorah were rounded. And he explains that even though Rashi says they weren't, it seems from Rashi they weren't rounded, but he says the Rambam in his magnum opus, in his book of Halacha, doesn't say that they were diagonal. He says that they came out, the six arms of the Menorah came out of the middle stem. And if since he didn't say diagonal, says the Ma'asechoshev says that means they must have been rounded. Otherwise, he would have said diagonal. And he also brings that there is a previous author who wrote a book by the name of Chochmat HaMishkan. This was an author by the name of uh, Ririkati. It was printed in, he lived in Manitoba, Mantova. Now, I'm not sure exactly the, the timeline of this. Definitely a few hundred years earlier. So he writes that it would seem from this that the Rambam doesn't state clearly, it was diagonal, that they were actually rounded, almost rounded. And the Maaseh Hoshev says, and it would seem so, because in this way they would be reminiscent of the planets in the skies, which we know that the seven branches of the menorah connected with the seven planetary, seven planets, and 
as the Bahaya said, the planets bring down energy, Hashem's energy into the world. The menorah brings down Hashem's energy into the world. So the planets are rounded. So it would fit that the, that the branches were also rounded. Says the Rebbe, however, according to, and he uses language, in Hebrew that means, according to the paucity of my knowledge, according to the poverty little, according to my poor knowledge, even though in other words, it's, a, it's an expression of humility. I would seem to me, says the Rebbe, that, look, let's see, the Maaseh Choshev, he writes, why does he say that, that there's a rounded, why does he say that, it, that, the, that the stems were rounded? He says, because the Rambam doesn't say that it was alachson, that it was diagonal. And that's why it would seem that since the Rambam, if the Rambam would have meant it's diagonal, he would have written that, but he doesn't write that. However, says the Rebbe, after we found the Rambam's handwriting, where he makes a picture and a diagram of the Menorah, and not just that, we have the son of the Rambam who testifies that my father's Menorah is straight, not, not, and he writes, not rounded, like others would say. So now the whole reason why the Maaseh Hoshev, this author, Kabbalist, says that it seems from the Rambam, because he didn't write that it was diagonal, it seems that maybe it was rounded, but once we found a manuscript of the Rambam, which has straight, and the Rambam's son testifying that it meant to be straight, so the opinion of the Maaseh Hoshev doesn't hold anymore. <laughs> and he, he doesn't say it as a, even the Maaseh Hoshev, it would make most sense to say it was rounded. Now, here's the thing. Once you have a... Um, once you have... It would appear, says the Rebbe, this is a, with with me asking forgiveness for the honor of his for the glory of the Torah that he contains. But it would seem, to my humble opinion, says the Rebbe, but it would seem clearly that even the Maaseh Hoshev, this author, and the author of the Chochmat Mishkan, great, great sages, but if they would have seen the Rambam's picture, they would have read who preceded them. And they would have read the, the, the testimony of Rabbi Avram, the son of the Rambam, who says, then they would also agree that there's no argument, that it was definitely diagonal. In other words, what they wrote is because they didn't have access. Now, how do we deal with this? What happens if new information is uncovered? A rabbi makes a decision, and now new information is uncovered that there's a, a new manuscript from somebody before him, few generations, which he would have listened to if he would have known about it. He didn't know about it. So the Rebbe quotes here, we find that the Alter Rebbe, Balatani in his Shukhanov writes, that there were many of the earlier uh, commentaries that hadn't come out yet. There were many writings of the Rishonim, those that are called the early the early um, expounders on the Talmud, for example, Ramban and, and various other things that they hadn't fully been printed. There were still manuscripts that not everybody had seen. And so you had later uh, rabbis making Pesach Halacha based on their understanding, but they hadn't seen somebody that came a few generations before them. If they would have seen, they would have. So now that we have uncovered new information, we have to go back and see one second. We can't say, well, the rabbi after them said differently. No, because we know he didn't see that information. It wasn't available. Now, if he would see it, he would also say that. There's, there's no argument. So therefore, we would seem to say, basically, that uh, especially 
Remember, there's a note after this talk was made in 1982, where he said that the that the diagram is only in the in the in the Pirush Hamishnai's and the Rambam's expounding on the Mishnah, but not in his Yad Chazakah, not in Book Halachas. Later, he adds a note that we found a new manuscript of the Rambam where the diagram of the Rambam is in his Book of Halachas, even, which means it's clearly the Rambam had a diagonal menorah. Those opinions afterwards that say that it was rounded is because they didn't know that the Rambam is so clear about that. So it would seem that they would also agree. If so, why is it so important? Paragraph 10. If this is all true, so it would be proper to bring back the crown to its full glory. In other words, all those that make pictures of the Menorah in order to teach what the Menorah looked like in the Mishkan or the Beis Amikdash should really make it diagonal. Like Rashi, who's the simple reading of the Pasuk, and the Rambam. And could be, as we've said, that there's nobody that argues. Once we know that the Rambam and Rashi say it, the argument was because it seemed like the Rambam hadn't said it. We know that now we know with from manuscripts that the Rambam drew it like that. Son of the Rambam said that that's what his father meant. Similarly, those educational institutions that make on their that make pictures of um, like in in their in their letterheads and in their um, in their publications, menorahs, they should make the menorah the way it was in a not in a not in a half moon, but not in a half rainbow, but in a half uh, but but diagonal, because since if the intention is to show the menorah the way it was in the base on Mikdash, so it would be very appropriate that they should make it diagonal. Now there's something, and it would be appropriate also when we make menorahs for use. We should also make it that. Now you may ask, you're not allowed to make something like the Beis Amikdash. Maybe we shouldn't make it like that. But it's different than the Beis Amikdash anyway. The Beis Amikdash had seven. We have eight. Chanukiyot. So we should make Chanukiyot for usage on Chanukah also diagonal. I'm saying some people would ask, maybe it's like the Beis Amikdash. You're not allowed to make something exactly like this. But it's not like the Beis Amikdash because the Beis Amikdash had seven. We have eight because the eight days of Chanukah. So anyway, not. So you would allowed to make it diagonal. We should make it diagonal if so. Rather than making a realm, we should sh- remind ourselves of the way it looked like in the base of English. And here there's something else. Paragraph 11. And it would seem to me, it seemed to me that this is the reason why the Rebbe took this so personally. Because there's something else. Where does the where does the round menorah really come from? If we trace it back, the regular picture of the menorah that the six, the six arms are rounded, it seems to be that this is based on the fact that on Titus's arch in Rome, the non-Jews described and depicted in, in Rome on the arch of victory that they made for Titus, may his name be obliterated. When Titus, the wicked, destroyed the Beis Amigdash, he instructed that they should also take into exile the vessels of the Beis Amigdash. And bring them to Rome. And in his honor, the honor of Titus, the, the wicked one, they built in Rome an arch, a, Victoria, a victory arch. Until today, it's called the Arch of Titus. And what did they write on that? What did they depict on that arch? They had a depiction in, a, in, a, in an engraving how their Romans are carrying the exiled, the captive vessels of the Beis Amikdash. And Amongst them, the Menorah. And in the picture of the Menorah, as depicted on the victory arch of Titus, we have the Menorah with 
rounded, which besides the fact that there are many aspects of the Menorah and Titus's arch which aren't exact. For example, he says in the footnote, we, we know that um, there was no, the, the Menorah had a base legs. and legs, three legs. In Titus's arch, there's no legs depicted on the Menorah. So it's possible that this was other, these were other Menorahs. We know that Shlomo Amalek made 10 Menorahs, not the Menorah, but 10 other Menorahs. Um, but it's possible that it wasn't those either. No, it could be there was other candelabras in the base Amikdash for use. But this is not the base Amikdash of this is not the one from the Menorah of the base Amikdash. And in that picture, they made it half circular. Now, first of all, as as we said, we know that there's there's items about the Menorah on the Titus arch which shows that it's not exact. It's not the, the, the one from the base Amikdash. But what was the whole purpose of creating that arch with the picture? It was to show that the dominion of Rome over the Jews, that the Jews are slaves to Rome. And what did they write on the arch? What's written on the arch? Judea capta, which means the Judeans, Yehuda, the Jews, are captives. That was the whole purpose, was to gloat and to show their supremacy and they're and they're and they're uh, um, being lords over the captive Jews, and there were times when they used to force Jews to come to this Victory Arch to go and see what it says there in order to degrade them, to remind them that they're Judea, Judea Kapta, they're they're captives. The Jewish people are have been taken hostage. Which means to say that if you if you base your Menorah make it rounded, based on Titus's victory arch, it's ridiculous. It's, it's, it, 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 it should arouse within us a gewaltgeschrei, a, 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 a like scream. Oh my, like, like we, should we should resist that, especially if we know that the Rambam and Rashi said that it's diagonal and not rounded. And by copying and taking our version of the Menorah from Titus's arch, we are somehow giving some kind of a credence, some kind of a ratification, some kind of a, an agreement to something that was created to, to, to demean us, to show that we're that we're that we're captives. We should use the Rambams. So what we do in the Menorah, what's the Menorah supposed to be for us? Instead of the Menorah being for us a, a source of inspiration, to remind us that our mission is to be a light unto the nations. It lit up the whole world. The, the windows were made in such a way it loved the whole world. The, 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 the cups were upside down. The menorah is a flow of light to the world. Instead of reminding that, that inspiration, right? All, we're taking a menorah which reminds us that we're captives, which reminds us that the Romans have, 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 have taken us and they're, they're lording over us and the world is not an expression of God's holiness. Ridiculous. So in other words, and it would seem to me, I'm just saying this personally, that Eva was very, very vocal about redoing Menorahs. There, there are many shoals on the on the on, on the parochet, they had the rounded Menorahs, but that Eva was very vocal and very insistent. You should redo them, don't leave them rounded. To me, it seems that what was burning here is that the 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 what the Rebbe is saying here, that the whole point of the Menorah, 
<clears throat> the whole point of the Menorah is to, to, to illuminate the world. Why are we copying paste the Menorah, which is not exact anyway? It's not the way that Amam said. And it, it and it's and, and it's about the subjugation of the Jews to Titus, the wicked. Ridiculous. Even the state of Israel. <laughs> okay, that's that's uh, that that that's not part of this discussion. Paragraph twelve: The Hirots may be the will of Hashem. That um, very soon should come the redemption. By the way, I just want to quote that uh, the Rebbe brings here a Yalkut Shemaini. There's a Medrash. The Yalkut Shemaini says the Menorah is corresponding to the seven, the Shivim Umot. There's seven branches corresponds to the 70 nations of the world. So long as the lights of the menorah are kindled, the nations of the world are held in control. In other words, they're, they're, they're not doing wild things. They're not doing um, destructive things. So the menorah is a sign of Hashem's presence creating a serenity and a holiness and a light in the world that affects the entire world, seven corresponding to 70 nations. And instead of that, we're going to use a manera that corresponds to the to the darkness overpowering the light. So maybe the will of Hashem, that soon we should have the geula, the, the complete redemption, we'll have the manera in a literal sense, in a complete sense, in the third base Amikdash, and everybody will be able to see what the manera looks like. There won't be any discussion anymore. Moshe Baron will be with us, right? And we'll see with our physical eyes the fulfillment that Hashem says to Aaron when you kindle the candles, light up the menorah, should be in a reality speedily in our days, literally. And interesting that the Rebbe brings in a footnote here, we'll seek a literal menorah. It says that anything that Moshe, anything that Moshe Rabbeinu made is eternal, which means that the menorah of Moshe should be somewhere still, Hidden away, not conquered. Vatican, maybe <laughs> I don't think it's in the Vatican. Maybe down there in the subterranean tunnels. And when Moshiach comes, we'll have it. Should be a reality, speedily in our days.